We're in a new series in 1 Corinthians over the next few weeks. What happens when someone becomes a Christian? What does it mean for their day-to-day -day life? What does it mean for the future? Well, come along with us and see how Paul answers that question over the next few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 5, going to the end of the chapter. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who grows or waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder receives a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Well, it's worth saying we're back in 1 Corinthians this evening. Uh, we've had a bit of a gap, haven't we? Uh, but do you remember where we've been? Paul is writing to the Corinthians, who are divided over their preachers. Do you remember some follow Paul, some follow Cephas, some follow Apollos? But Paul's been showing us, as we've gone through so far, that that is a worldly way of thinking. Instead, we saw last time that gospel proclamation is a word that imparts divine wisdom. Which means it's not a bunch of people to line up behind. Just turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross... That's preaching, preaching the gospel. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So God calls people into the fellowship of the Son through the preaching of the cross. And that preaching is God's power at work. And as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we should be thinking this. What is God's power doing? 
That's what we're going to answer this evening. That's what Paul is going to explain in this passage. And in order to think about that, I wonder if you've ever seen a TV show called Secret Millionaire. Anyone seen that show before? It was on TV a while ago. Well, the idea, if you haven't seen it, is this. A millionaire goes undercover. They stop wearing their expensive clothes. They wear normal person clothes. And they go and live with other people. And as they live with these other people, they are keeping an eye on them, taking note as to who is worthy of receiving a prize. Things like, how do the other people treat that person? Or how generous are the other people to those around them? And at the end of the show, uh, the secret millionaire suddenly puts on their expensive clothing again and shows their true identity. And there's lots of gasps and surprise. Uh, Working in the TV industry, it's all faked, just so you know. But the person they thought was one of them is suddenly shown to be something different, something big, something amazing, the punchline, the centre of attention. And for many of them, they're kicking themselves because they didn't realise what they had until it was gone. I mean, it's quite a, a silly show for lots of reasons, but it does help us this evening. You see, in this passage, the Corinthians don't realise something big. They don't realise something, and Paul wants them to realise it before it's too late, before it is gone. And that is the answer to the question behind me. What is God's power doing in this world? The Corinthians have been dividing their body, their church, over which preacher is better. They think that the main event is the preacher themselves, the celebrity, uh, the keynote speaker, the one they should shine the spotlights on. They think that Paul, Apollos, Cephas are the punchline. But Paul is going to show them, he's going to show us, that that is completely the wrong way around. I'm really glad that this passage is here on our ninth birthday, actually, because it will help us to think and recalibrate what we're doing as a church, how we go about what we're doing. So what is God's power doing in this world? And how can we get on board with it? Well, the answer is that God's power is growing a temple. God's power is growing a temple. Should we see how that works? Well, the first thing we need to see then is that God is growing something. Now, in our 2023 world, I don't know about you, but I don't really think about agriculture. Do you ever wake up in the morning thinking about farmers? No, not really. I mean, it's not at the front of my mind. Uh, the last time I thought about growing something was when Joanna came home with a pot from school. We were like, what is that? She's like, it's a bean. And we had to look after this bean for the next few months. It turned into a, an obsession in our house. It even grew quite tall. We got beans off it and then put them in the bin. But when you think about it, we do actually get reminded of people growing stuff quite regularly. I was meant to bring with me this evening the top of the pot of grapes in my fridge. Now, if you had the top, just imagine it floating around here. If I had the top of the grapes in my fridge, you would say grown by Thanet Earth, if you uh, know where that is. Great place. But it would say on there, grown by Thanet Earth. It's the actual name of the farm there. And that helps us understand what Paul is talking about in verses 5 to 9. Have a look at those verses with me. Verses 5 to 9. Verse 5. Paul wants us to see that Apollos and Paul are both servants. They're people who God has given a task to. Uh, Verse 6, Paul planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed. But God made it grow. Just think back to uh, my invisible, my imaginary uh, top of my grape box. Uh, Stuart, my friend, works at Thanet Earth. 
He has done some stuff for them, but his name doesn't make it onto the flimsy credits. As a worker at Thanet Earth in the field, Stuart doesn't get any credits. He is simply, in this passage, the servant, the worker. And do you see, that's what Paul is saying there in verse 9. Paul and Apollos here are workers in God's field. Of verse 8, they do have a role. They are going to be rewarded for their labour, but that's not the point. The big point here is to see that they are focusing on them would be the wrong idea. It would be actually missing the big thing. See, Paul and Apollos, they're simply workers in the field. God is the one who's made it grow. Think back to St. Paul's Cathedral. Christopher Wren has his name on it. It's his work, his product. You don't know about Keith and Alan and the rest of them who were working on it, do you? No, in this picture, God is the one who is growing something. So what is God growing? Well, Paul shifts from the growing metaphor to the building metaphor in the second half of verse 9. Do you see, God is growing a building. God has a great cosmic building project. In fact, God is building a place where God is going to dwell forever. To be precise, God is growing and building a temple. I mean, the language of growing and building tips us off to that. Uh, the temple in the Bible, you might know, is seen as something that is grown and something that is built. It's language that takes you all the way back to the garden at the start of the Bible. God grows a garden for him to dwell in, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is a prototype of the temple going forwards. And to add to that, Paul is echoing language here from the book of Exodus. Uh, let me read Exodus 31, 2 to 5. I've not removed any words or added any words. They're all the right words there. Uh, it says, God is talking to Moses here. See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. I mean, do you see there? Bezalel. There is a wise builder. The phrase wise builder comes up. He has God's spirit. We saw that in the previous chapter of 1 Corinthians, didn't we? Uh, he uses gold, silver, costly stones, wood, etc. to do his work. Well, why care about that? Dave's just going off again on Exodus. Well, it makes a difference because Paul is saying that his preaching of the gospel, as he declares the message of the cross, He's doing the same thing that Bezalel was doing here in Exodus. As Paul is preaching the gospel, he is building like a wise builder. I mean, that same imagery, those same materials, they flow to the temple that Solomon ends up building. Have a look at verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says there, he has laid a foundation. And verse 11, that foundation is Jesus Christ. The message of the cross, the message of Jesus is the foundation. And then others come along, like Cephas, like Apollos, and they contribute to that same building, the same project, the same building work that God is doing. As God is working to grow, to build a temple, that is what his power in this world is doing right now. And that overthrows every other kind of wisdom, any other pride, because God is doing it. How is God doing it? Well, through unimpressive speech, through weak people, through people who are jars of clay, I mean, just like the tabernacle in Exodus being built there, 
is the answer to the pride of Pharaoh at his storehouses in the book of Exodus. Well, just like that, the temple here is the proof of true wisdom. God is building a temple. But, but the big point is not that. The big point is coming up now. Are you ready? Here comes the punchline. This is important to see. Let me read verse 16. Don't you know that you, yourselves, are God's temple and that God lives among you? A bit like a secret millionaire when they put the clothes on. Here's the punchline. Corinthians, don't you know that you, yes, you, you are God's temple. You are what God is building. It's like a big hand pointing, coming down from the sky, coming down going, it's you. Do you remember that? Uh, I couldn't find it online, but there you go. Paul is highlighting, the big point is this. The Corinthians, they've been lining up behind their favourite celebrity preachers. They've been thinking the preacher is the big deal, that the preachers are wisdom on display, that the preachers are where the action is at. Do you see what Paul is doing here? Paul wants to flip the script. He wants to go, no, you, you're where the action's at. God is building you into a temple. Don't focus on the speakers, focus on the products. It's worth pointing out, it might be obvious, but when Paul is saying you here, he's actually saying, as our American friends would say, y'all, you all. This isn't my body is a temple, as some people might say. This is saying that as the gospel goes out, God is calling people into the fellowship of the Son. And that is the temple that he is building. Together, y'all are God's temple. And that's been his plan since the beginning, to fill the world with his glory, or to fill the world with his temple. The temple that stretches to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. I mean, that's great news, isn't it? That's encouragement. But it should leave a little niggle in the back of your mind. God is working to build his temple. Uh, his temple are those who are called into the fellowship of the Son. So anything that divides that fellowship, anything that splits that body, for example, over preachers, is actually to work against God. The situation in Corinth, remember, what the Corinthians are doing is actually dividing the body. They're actually working against God. In fact, they're showing themselves to be, or to not be, or verse 9 says, wise builders. Instead, verse 17, they are temple destroyers. And if you're a temple destroyer, that's not a good place to be. Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You see, God is building his temple, and just like standing in front of an avalanche, there is nothing you can do to stop it. In fact, if you go against it, it's not going to end well. God is building his church through the preaching of the cross, through these workers in the fields, by these builders who are doing his work. True wisdom is found as you clock that. In going with God's plan, understanding God's way of working in the world, Job and his friends find that out. The psalmist in Psalm 94 knows that. That's the two passages there in verses 19 and 20. The whole Bible tells us that. And say God's plan, the message of the cross, is building God's temple. And do you see how that turns everything around? Everything serves that. God's plan is all about that. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they all serve that task. And what does it say in verse 23? 
That task serves Christ, and all of that serves God. Do you see? Believers here tonight, you are that temple. And that means that God's temple is the main event. God's temple is the star of the show. And who is the temple? Well, you are the temple. So you see, that means it's not about the speakers. I'll be as weird as saying it's all about Stuart who works in the field or one of the guys who come in one of the windows in St. Paul's Cathedral. It's not the preachers, it's not the leaders. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? When they're only servants doing God's work. So why would you divide over speakers? I mean, they're the way that God is doing his building work. It'd be like saying, oh, I really like that contractor who comes in to help with the job. Rather than, wow, look at that impressive building over there. God's temple, the people he's called, they are the main deal. They are the punchline. You are the punchline. As I said, this is a great passage to be in on our ninth birthday. Because we can fall into the same trap. We can work especially hard, or we need to work especially hard in this area, the older that we get. Because the more stable we feel, the more established we get, the stronger we feel we are, the more likely we are to have this problem. And if we get this wrong, well, we've made some major mistakes. I think it's worth taking time to spell these out. Three ways I was reflecting on. See what you think. Well, firstly, we can be tempted to copy the Corinthians. Uh, we could line up behind the teachers here. I mean, as the years have progressed, we might start to think it's the particular people who will be doing the teaching that's kept us going for nine years. Uh, the teachers are the reason for the growth. What does this passage say? This passage says God is building his temple. And the message of the cross is how God is doing it. The preachers, the teachers, sons of school leaders, women's group leaders, just workers towards that project. Workers in the field. I mean, I think you're probably all thinking, I wouldn't line up behind you anyway, but anyway. Let's push that a little bit further. Because it's really easy to think of ministry as some form of career path. Uh, both for those who are listening, uh, who are doing the job, and for those who are listening. Uh, for example, Sam, myself, uh, we might think to ourselves, well, what's next? I mean, that's what the world does, isn't it? I'm going to get my next career. Uh, to set our sights on a promotion, a better title, a bigger church, a more prestigious location. Sadly, that's not unknown in our church today or in our circles. But I mean, for all of us, we can also think the same way. Uh, to think that certain ministries are stepping stones. Let's say someone does children's work. Uh, maybe, maybe they'll progress to the teenagers at some point. And of course, if, if they do the teenager work, well, they're really just working their way up to the adult work. Or you could think of uh, hierarchy and the leaders of church. Uh, one day that person here is going to make it up there. It means we stop investing in each other. As, as Paul says here, fellow workers, our brothers and sisters, those who are all called into the fellowship of the Son. Uh, we can end up thinking that some people are temporary and not really invest in them. There's one way this could happen. The others are quick, don't worry. Second, we could become ashamed of God's words. Remember, it's the message of the cross. Uh, we could start thinking we need something more than the message of the cross. As we grow as a church, we might start to think that something else we do over here is the driver for our impressiveness. Uh, perhaps there's a particular ministry in church. Perhaps there's a particular event in church. 
Maybe if we just did more of that, rather than simply preaching the message of the cross, we'd have greater effect. I mean, that could take our focus so easily, couldn't it? Or we could think to ourselves, we're, we're stable, we're wise enough to talk about other things than the truth that leads to godliness. Uh, we started with the gospel, as does well for the first 10 years of our life, but now we're strong, the Bible can take a back seat. Again, it's sadly not unknown in the history of our land for the Bible to become further and further and further away in the rearview mirror. And thirdly, this one really bites, we could build up Christchurch Hemel to the detriment of other churches. So as we continue into the future, we could start to think, well, we're the best game in town. In fact, we're the only game in town. That if people are serious about following Jesus, they should really be with us, shouldn't they? Uh, we can effectively divide true believers from false believers by which church they're attending. Uh, we could make ourselves seem more impressive than the other preaching, the other gospel preaching churches in town. Uh, we could deliberately hold on to people rather than seeing that God is building his temple. And we're part of that. Uh, we could do that by not emphasising local church, by encouraging people to drive past a faithful gospel preaching church to get to us. Uh, we could do that by not being generous with other believers, other gatherings of God's people. I was talking to a, another church leader in Hemel recently and he said we could be empire building for ourselves. Just see, each one of those things, it might look like we're building God's temple, building God's church, but in reality, what are we doing? We're seeking to destroy God's temple. We're standing against God's grand cosmic building projects. We're standing against God's plan for eternity. And that's serious, isn't it? In fact, remember how seriously God takes that? Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Those things we think are actually building are, in fact, destroying. And God takes that seriously. Do you see how serious he takes it? Not going to succeed. So on our ninth birthday, let's commit, shall we? Let's keep committing to being a church that is wise. That sees what God is really doing in this world. Building his dwelling, growing his temple through the message of the cross. Calling people into the fellowship of the Son. Let's pray. Let's have that shape the way we think about everything we do as a church, shall we? And let's begin by praying. I'm going to pray and then we'll go to tables to discuss and pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your words. We do thank you for uh, the stark warning here, but also the, the great vision of what you are doing in this world. Father, fill our minds so much with the fact you are building your temple that we wouldn't go anywhere near trying to do something else. Help us to correct any paths we're on that are wrong. Help us to do things that are wise into the future. And Father, we pray in years to come, we will still be faithful to you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Any questions can come to podcast email podcast at david-couch.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you.